right, good morning, everybody. Praise the Lord. All right, here we go. Well, here's what usually happens um, and in Thanksgiving. Um, normally, it's just, it kind of goes this way, and so I was a little ahead of it this time. Because um, normally, I, I, I think to, to speak to us about the topic of being thankful or having a thankful heart, a grateful heart, because it is such a major topic in Scripture, it really is. But I usually don't think to do it on the Sundays around. I usually, like, I'm, I'm thinking about it in terms of Wednesday night, and so we get together on Wednesday night, and we will be getting together on Wednesday night um, for a uh, kind of a brief service, and it's just an opportunity. I know there's lots of things to do. I know there's all kinds of things to cook, and yeah, we get the picture, but... Um, if that, if, if that time slot is available for you and you want to come and just share how God has blessed your life or what you, um, what you are grateful for, uh, we'll be here. So normally I'm thinking about a message for that night, and I am, am working on something else maybe for the, the Sunday surrounding, but this, this time I thought, no, no I'm going to just kind of take, uh, take a shot at it and preach a message about Thanksgiving on the Sunday prior to Thanksgiving to get us ramped up, right? Get us pumped a little bit for uh, this whole a great, wonderful, extraordinary, excellent celebration that we, that's built into our nation's calendar. It really is extraordinary. You know that? It really is extraordinary. I want to, um, this morning, here's the, uh, here's the title of my talk for you, Thanksgiving, the importance of gratitude. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. You ever wonder what the will of God is for your life? Wonder no more. Okay, there you go. This is the will of God for you. Give thanks. You know, I'm, uh, we're going to bear right down on that thought when we get to the uh, end of the message. That's going to be like the third stop and a three-stop journey. But the starting point with this message, I want to share with you how it is that we came to have a Thanksgiving holiday. Now, we all know the story about the pilgrims. And, and it's funny because my uh, grandson was coming out of school. We, had, we picked him up, little Josh. And uh, so we were asking him about the story, you know, what he learned, all, you know, the typical kinds of questions. And he was saying, talking about the, um, the indigenous American people and um, didn't get to the pilgrims. And I, I don't know whether, I doubt that the pilgrims get much, um, much print these days. You know what I mean? Because uh, everything is being done to minimize any type of mention that anything that God might have had something to do with, and this is a big problem for us as a country. And I want to, so I want to read these two proclamations, one by um, George Washington, the other by Abraham Lincoln. And you got to put your thinking cap on. It's really it's amazing what kind of language these guys were able to communicate in. You know, we, we don't write like this at all. We certainly don't speak like this. The, the, the extraordinary vocabulary and command of language, is, it's eloquent, it's wonderful, but it takes a little bit of thought. I want to make sure I read it well also because reading it, you, know, you, you can kind of be a little jerky in, in reading it. So hopefully I'll get, I'll get them right because they're, they're not like the easiest, simplest read. But it kind of gives us a sense of um, where we came from. And that's important. We're, we're not there anymore. Unfortunately, this, this, uh, this country certainly was birthed with a Christian consensus, okay? It, the people who came here, by and large, were Christians. The government that was set up was set up in such a way that it aligned with biblical principles. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, right? And the, these thoughts were, were drawn from their knowledge of what God had said in Scripture. Let me take us to, this, uh, to these uh, proclamations that were made. This first one, as I said, is by George Washington. And again, you got to follow it because it's, it's high. It, the language is high. By the President of the United States of America, a proclamation. Whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey His will, to be grateful for His benefits, and humbly to implore His protection and favor. And whereas both houses of Congress have, by their joint committee, requested me to recommend to the people of the United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer to be observed 
by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many signal favors of Almighty God, especially by affording them an opportunity peaceably to establish a form of government for their safety and happiness. Now I, therefore, do recommend and assign Thursday, the 26th day of November, next, of November next, to be devoted by the people of these states to the service of that great and glorious being who is the beneficent author of all the good that was, that is, or that will be. That we may then all unite in rendering unto him our sincere and humble thanks for his kind care and protection of the people of this country previous to their, of this country previous to their becoming a nation. For the signal and manifold mercies and the favorable interpositions of his providence, which we experience in the course and conclusion of the late war. So he's writing this just after the Revolutionary War, and he's drawing um, attention back to that. For the great degree of tranquility, union, and plenty which we have since enjoyed, for the peaceable and rational manner in which we have been enabled to establish constitutions of government for our safety and happiness, and particularly the national one now lately instituted for the civil and religious liberty with which we are blessed and the means we have of acquiring and diffusing useful knowledge and in general for all the great and various favors which he hath been pleased to confer upon us. And also that we may then unite in most humbly offering our prayers and supplications to the great Lord and ruler of nations and beseech him to pardon our national and other transgressions, to enable us all, whether in public or private stations, to perform our several and relative duties properly and punctually, to render our national government a blessing to all the people by constantly being a government of wise, just, and constitutional laws discreetly and faithfully executed and obeyed to protect and guide all sovereign nations, I'm sorry, all sovereigns and nations, especially such as have shown kindness unto us, and to bless them with good government, peace, and concord, to promote the knowledge and practice of true religion and virtue and the increase of science among them and us, and generally to grant unto all mankind such a degree of temporal prosperity as he alone knows to be best, given under my hand, yeah, of, uh, in, at the city of New York on the third day of October in the year of our Lord, 1789, George Washington. That's where we came from. Don't you wish our political leaders would read these things or would return to these places? Because when people talk about what made America great, that's it. What made America great was our reliance and trust and dependence upon Almighty God because God is faithful. When we are dependent upon God, when we, when, when we align ourselves with his ways, his ways are right. His ways are true. His ways work. And so the, all of these founding fathers, you know, that secularists like to make a big deal about, you know, Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson being deists, and even, even those guys were completely on board with the Christian consensus. They may have had issues with some portions of Scripture and things like that, but they were, they were certain when they put in things like nature and nature's God in the, in the Declaration of Independence when they talk about all men having, being created equal and being endowed by their creator. They were, they were aware of what the basis for life and the foundation of everything was. And, so th and they enshrined all of those things into this nation, and that's why we are as blessed as we are. So that was, that's the George Washington one um, done in 1789, shortly after the, the Revolutionary War was uh, completed. The second one, another proclamation, was made by Abraham Lincoln on October the 3rd, 1863. So this one is right in the middle of the Civil War. This is, this is perhaps the most terrible time in America's history where you've got Americans killing Americans and just terrible, terrible bloody battles and people, so many lives lost and limbs lost and just a, just a, a horrific um, tragedy going on in the nation. And of course, it affected uh, no one more than Abraham Lincoln, who found himself right in the middle of the whole thing. And uh, 
and I, I have I have somebody gave me some for for pastor appreciation some years ago. They gave me a statue, a little bust of of Lincoln, and underneath it I put uh, a little statement of his. He said, "I have often been drawn to prayer, drawn into the place of prayer under the realization that I had no place else to go." And there were many times that he just, you know, he had no friends. Everybody was, was steering clear of him, and he was the guy that was trying to bring the nation through. So anyway, this is the uh, proclamation that he made in 1863. By the President of the United States of America, a proclamation. The year that is drawing towards its close has been filled with the blessings of fruitful fields and healthful skies. To these bounties which are so constantly enjoyed that we are prone to forget the source from which they come. Others have been added, which are of so extraordinary a nature that they cannot fail to penetrate and soften even the heart which is habitually insensible to the ever-watchful providence of Almighty God. In the midst of a civil war of unequaled magnitude and severity, which has sometimes seemed to foreign states to invite and to provoke their aggression, peace has been preserved with all nations. Order has been maintained. The laws have been respected and obeyed, and harmony has prevailed everywhere except in the theater of military conflict. While that theater has been greatly contracted by the advancing armies and navies of the Union, needful diversions of wealth and of strength from the fields of peaceful industry um, to the national defense, have not arrested the plow, the shuttle, or the ship. The axe has enlarged the borders of our settlements, and the mines, as well of iron and coal, as of the precious metals, have yielded even more abundantly than heretofore. Population has steadily increased. Understanding the waste, I'm sorry, notwithstanding the waste that has been made in the camp, the siege, and the battlefield. And the country, rejoicing in the consciousness of augmented strength and vigor, is permitted to expect continuance of years with large increase of freedom. No human counsel hath devised nor hath any mortal hand worked out these great things. They are the gracious gifts of the Most High God, who, while dealing with us in anger for our sins, has nevertheless remembered mercy." It has seemed to me fit and proper that they should be sol uh, solemnly, reverently, and gratefully acknowledged as with one heart and one voice by the whole American people. I do, therefore, invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States and also those who are at sea and those who are sojourning in foreign lands to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November next as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. And I recommend to them that while offering up the ascriptions justly due to him for such singular deliverances and blessings, they do also with humble penitence for our national perverseness and disobedience commend to his tender care all those who have become widows, orphans, mourners, or sufferers in the lamentable civil strife in which we are unavoidably engaged and fervently implore the interposition, the interposition of the almighty hand to heal the wounds of the nation and restore it as soon as may be consistent with the divine purposes to the full enjoyment of peace, harmony, tranquility, and union. In testimony whereof, I have hereunto set my hand and caused the seal of the United States to be affixed uh, and to be affixed, done at the city of Washington this third day of October in the year of our Lord, 1863, um, and of the uh, independence of the United, oh, and of the independence of the United States, the 88th, by the president, Abraham Lincoln. So this was the kind of, these were the kind of people that laid the foundation for this great country that we have been so blessed to be born into, and for us to get together and, and, uh, 
and to celebrate and to be thankful and to, and to make sure that we are not missing, like he said in that one portion, we, we, we get so accustomed to the good things that we have that we fail to remember where they actually come from. And, and, and sometimes we actually get rather possessive and selfish about the fact, thinking that we have a right somehow to all of these things, and we don't. We have them because of the goodness and blessing of Almighty God and the kindness of expressing his kindness to us. Last week, I didn't preach last week because we went to see Garrison Keeler, whose uh, famous program, uh, Prairie Home Companion, uh, was a staple on National Public Radio forever, the last 40 years, if not more. And um, so he was, he was appearing by himself. And when I found out he was appearing in Mount Tabor in Denville, I said, That's, I'm going. I mean, this is the guy, the last time I saw him was in, um, what is the name of that theater in, in the city? Town Hall? Town Hall, yeah, the Town Hall Theater, which is like right on Times Square. I mean, it, it, this is a, nah. anyway, so in the middle of the program, um, he asks everybody to stand up and starts leading us in hymns. And we start singing hymns. And, and then he goes off into, uh, you know, America the Beautiful, oh, beautiful for spacious skies or amber for where amber waves of grain for purple mountain majesties above the fruited plain. America, America, God shed his grace on thee and crowned thy good with brotherhood from sea to shining sea. And, and then after singing that song, he said, you know, we are the last generation of people who know these songs by heart. That's quite a thought. When we meet, on, you know, when, when, the, when our homeschool co-op comes together on, on Monday morning, Tuesday morning, and, and Wednesday, or Thursday as well, we have high school students in. You know, we bring the flags up here and set up the flags. I love that. I think that is so great. And all the kids, you know, put their hand on their heart. We all pledge allegiance to the Christian flag. We pledge allegiance to the Bible, God's holy word. I'm making a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. We pledge allegiance to the American flag. And everybody has to be taught that. That isn't being taught in schools today. That's being mocked and rejected, and this country is being scorned. This country, which God shed his grace on thee, is just, the, many who are in leadership despise this country. That is a terrible and sorry thing to have to say, but it's just so true. And, and I want to take us to some passages in Scripture that are going to show us what happens when People's hearts turn, and they turn away from the light and away from the truth and away from the Lord. The, only, the, the, the final stop on that road is deep darkness. That's, all, that's the only place where, the, where our life is going. Doug Wilson is kind of famous for saying, you have two choices, Christ or chaos. Because the only place where there's peace and where there is life and where there is truth and where there is forgiveness and where there is mercy is in Jesus Christ himself. And without that, you have a life that doesn't have peace, it doesn't have mercy, it doesn't have forgiveness, and, uh, and it has no meaning. It becomes simply meaningless without him. So, let's see, where are we? So, um, with singing those songs, it, to me, it's a wonderful thing just to be tr- uh, teaching our kids. And, and it's an important part of how we pass the baton, so to speak, of, of citizenship and, and being the, the people that can continue a great nation. We pass it along by teaching the Pledge of Allegiance and these great songs that we sing that, uh, that honor this great nation. So we are obviously in a very different uh, place philosophically these days. Um, we were at that time a Christian nation. We are now, many have used the term post-Christian, meaning that we have walked away pretty much culturally. I would say, and this is an awful thing to have to say, but it's true, we are now approaching anti-Christian. The nation is moving to an anti-Christian nation, which means it is the spirit of antichrist that runs this thing. Paul said that the spirit of antichrist was already in the world when he was writing 1 John. Right? And he warned people to be, to be aware of this. Well, our nation is rapidly um, buying into the anti-Christian message. And I don't know where all this is going. It's kind of scary, isn't it? It, it really is. I, I, if, if I didn't have a confidence to know that the Lord is in charge of things and is sovereign, and that one way or another, it's kind of like... Uh, in my, uh, when we used to be Philadelphia, the Philadelphia Church, one of the reasons we chose that, I have always believed that it, I would be around when the Lord returned. And it, it, the Lord says to the, the church at Philadelphia, because you have kept my command to patiently endure, I am also going to keep you 
from the hour which will try all those that dwell upon the earth. Now, different people interpret that in different ways. Some people see that as a, a rapture where the church just gets pulled out. Other people, people see that as a way that God will protect and hide or cover his people during that hour, that hour of tribulation. It's different ways of approaching it. Um, and I'm not here to talk about that this morning anyway. But just simply to say the confidence is that God is in control of this thing. And so one more good reason to, uh, to walk closely with the Lord. So um, I want to take us to three stops this morning um, <clears throat> to see the importance of where, see how important it is that Thanksgiving is mentioned and enjoined uh, towards us as believers. Let me take a moment just to, uh, just to lift this thing up in prayer. Father God, I thank you so much for this place and for everybody that's in this room and for all those kids that are up there and for everybody who's doing so many things. We are, I am such a blessed man and I am so grateful for what you're doing. And this whole thing is nothing but a manifestation of your grace and goodness. From right down to the chairs and the lights and the handles on the doors and everything is a manifestation of your kindness and goodness to us. And I thank you and I praise you for it. May you be glorified, oh God, in this place. Thank you for this time to get together. Thank you for the time to be in your word. Speak to us, we pray, oh Lord, through your word. And challenge us some this morning to, to, be, to have a commitment to, be, to having a thankful heart. And so we offer to you this time, we thank you for your word, we thank you for the encouragement and life that it sows into us, and the, the uh, capability that it gives to us to bless others and encourage others along the way. Bless our time together, we ask in Jesus' name, and for his sake, and all of God's people said, Amen. All right, good going. All right, so I'm, the first stop is the book of Romans, chapter one. Now I... I love the book of Romans. I love teaching it. We've been through it a number of times in the men's thing. I've taught from it. I've, I've certainly been in this passage before, uh, this first chapter. Because in chapters 1, 2, and 3 in the book of Romans, Paul is laying out an indictment. He is charging, he's saying, this is God's indictment of the human race. And it starts in verse 18, and it goes all the way and finally ends in chapter 3 and verse 23. Most people will know 3.23, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. And he's going to take it through, yes, all, all the nations have sinned, all the pagans have sinned, but chapter 2, he's going to say, but wait a minute, you spiritually minded, you religious people, you, you sin even more because you know what's right, you have the word, and you do it wrong anyway. So you're even more guilty. So rather than, don't sit back and think, that this doesn't apply to you. And so he goes through first the, the, the heathen, pagan, godless peoples of the world. Then he goes through the, the actual Jewish people who, um, the, who themselves are also under indictment and are by nature, like it says in Ephesians, objects or children of wrath. And he finally gets it all away and he gets to Romans chapter 3, 23. He says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the summary statement of all that has come before. The opening of that statement comes in chapter one where he begins this long treatise of a, of a charge that he is going to make. And I'll, I'll lead us through it. And um, we'll stop here and there along the way. Okay. Is that where, yeah, that's where we want to be? Okay. Now notice the, the pivotal position of being thankful in this passage of Scripture. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. They, just being the people of the world, humanity, is without excuse because God has put it as, God has made it as, as obvious as it could possibly be made, right? There is no other 
um, explanation for this cosmos, this universe, this planet that we live on, the order of everything that is all around us, the order of all of the heavenly bodies, the precision with which they move. Recently, you know, we've been going through um, the, the quantum mechanics of an atom in our, our chemistry class, and the elegance, the elegance of an atomic particle. And the wonder of it, and like, you know, it, it is something that will never be, well, it's, it is now starting to be able to be seen because they can, they can track it with lasers. And, but the thing is so small, every atom is so small, it, it will never be seen by the, by the naked eye, but they've been able to, to shoot like um, photons off of it and get an image. And so they actually have something that it looks like. But the elegance of this thing and the order of it and the beauty of it and the sophistication of it and how everything like works together and how one thing attracts another thing and holds itself together, chemical bonding and all these kinds of things, it's indescribably elegant. It's incredible. There is no other explanation for this kind of macro and micro perfection that we see everywhere. Anything that people make, you'll find the flaws in it pretty quick. Put it under a microscope. It won't take too long. The Amish craftsmen, whenever they make something, if they make it really good, they nick it because it's, they want, they don't, they're not trying to challenge God in this. You know, we are not perfect and comfortable with that. So there is no other explanation for this cosmos that we live in. I've said to you a number of times, Peter, um, Peter Atkins, who is a famous British um, physicist, um, came up with this. At some point, nothing rolled over and became something. Now, this guy is highly regarded, highly regarded within the scientific community, but his explanation for where everything came from is at some point, nothing rolled over and became something. There is nobody that has any, because there is no explanation for it other than in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the explanation. You like it? Take it. You don't like it? Too bad. But if you don't like it, you are heading off into imbecility because you have turned away from the only truth that there is. And that's what happens, that, and that's what he's, that is what he's pointing to in this passage of Scripture. That's the point that he's making. So he says, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, how did they know God? They see the revelation of God in nature. There's no way to look at nature and not know that some incredible designer has put this thing together. We may not know him. We may not know what his plan is or what his purpose is, but the at least we can do is acknowledge that there is some kind of an extraordinary being who has built this whole thing well beyond anyone's uh, power to comprehend. So he says, although they knew God in this way, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful. Now watch what happens. But became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. So he's saying, this is where idolatry came from. People rejected the invisible God of creation and chose instead to create some kind of idol of our own. And it, it is part of the various different cultures all over the world. The wrath comes because God has clearly revealed himself, but men are suppressing the truth in unrighteousness, meaning I don't want to deal with that. And so I will just choose to be deaf, dumb, and blind to whoever this being is. And what Paul is saying, what this ought to have produced, if we were, if we were right, if we weren't so broken and, and incurably sin-sick, that, we can, that, that the only thing that can save us is a new birth. If we weren't that, that's exactly how we would perceive every new morning. We would look at another morning, we would say, thank God, look at this beautiful world, look at this beautiful day. Even if it was a, a, a lousy day, there would still be, we would still have much, much, much to thank God for. So, um, so here's the rest. The rest of the section will explain why, um, why it is or why, what happens when the turn, when, when we take the turn and fail to be thankful 
and our foolish hearts are darkened, we start professing ourselves to be wise. We start thinking that we're all that in the bag of chips, right? And instead we become foolish and do really, really foolish and stupid things because we are working outside of reality. We are living outside of reality. So here's how that chapter finishes up. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They're whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. So here's, this is the beginning of the, this is, this is a, a strong message of condemnation for the human race. And he continues it along, like I said, when you go into chapter two, you might be thinking that those Jewish guys are sitting back and going, that's right, Paul, man, preach to those Gentiles, man, those guys, those, those dogs, those scum. Yep, tell them what they're really all about. And then Paul turns around and he says, well, wait a minute, you guys, who, you religious guys, you're worse than they are because you know the truth and you don't do it. That, that, the, the guilt is even greater for the person, for, the, for us, who know what is right, who know what is true, who know what the word says, who have accepted it, but fail to amend our behavior or adjust our behavior to, to line up with the word of God. <clears throat> so the long, and that, that, that slope just goes down, down, down until you get to 323, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And, and thank God, right after that, it says, but now a righteousness, not, um, what, not of works, has been, uh, not of the law, has been made, and then he starts to build the case. And that once everybody is convinced of the fact that we are guilty, all guilty, everybody's guilty, totally guilty before God, he starts building the case. But this is what God has done about this. And it makes the book a wonder. It's a great book um, to know and to study and to dig into because it really tells you the whole story. <clears throat> so um, <clears throat> why humanity is able to deny a God who is so obvious begins with the fact that human beings refuse to acknowledge God's presence. We make willful choices to ignore his, to ignore his presence in the creation. So, so the first stop <clears throat> is just to show us where that placing of um, thankfulness. Neither were they thankful. And from that point on out, it goes over the edge. Thankfulness is very important. The second stop that I want to take us to this morning is uh, Psalm 100. And I think verse 3 or 4, or something like that. Uh, it's, it's a great psalm. It, it'll lift us up a little bit more, right? With the, that, that whole story that we just told just told leads to hopelessness, it leads to nihilism, it leads, leads completely to meaninglessness. So that's why without God, there is no meaning to life. The only thing that's out there is meaninglessness and nihilism. So the second stop, however, will cheer us up a little bit because the second stop is God wanting to welcome us in. And to, to get the picture, um, the first service, I was, uh, I was kind of thinking, like, probably the tabernacle was maybe about this size, the entire thing, the, the court and everything. The, 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 the actual holy place and holy of holies, we'll say, was maybe back there where Gretchen is sitting and Kristen you know, they're, they're, they're in the Holy of Holies back there. And it probably, you know, so, so the Holy of Holies, you know, would maybe start about here. And, and how many people are allowed to go here? None, right? Only one, once a year. Is the high priest on the, on the Day of Atonement, is he able to go in behind this curtain and walk in because there's the Ark of the Covenant there, and he takes that blood and he applies that blood for the sins of the Jewish people, and forgiveness is there. It's a great day of celebration and mercy and forgiveness. <clears throat> and there, but there's a, whole, um, uh, there's a whole route to get there. there. Inside that place, there's God, and he is drawing people, and the, and the psalm is kind of um, 
a song about getting to where God is, getting to his presence in, in that place. Although at that time, nobody could go back there except the high priest one time a year. That was it because the, the presence of God was shielded. So with that, and I'm just trying to get the, I was going to build a laver and an altar of incense, but it was 1230 last night. And that's, yeah, not a good idea. <laughs> no, but anyway, so, so, so we'll, we'll pretend that uh, I am, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of like um, image this song or this, uh, this psalm here a little bit. Let's, let's check it out. Make a joyful shout unto the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he that has made us, not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So an opening statement, right? An opening statement of just simple truth. This is who God is. This is who we are. This is how we relate to God. And so then the, the invitation is made. And we read in the psalm, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Now, this whole, whole, this whole um, tabernacle thing was closed off. There was only one entrance point, one door. And of course, that's altogether symbolic of Jesus saying, I am the door. If anybody comes in through me, he will come in and go out and find safe pasture and he will be fed because Jesus himself is that doorway of entrance into the presence of God which is why Jesus can use that metaphor of himself being a door. So I'm, I'm the worshiper this morning, and I'm a, let's say I'm on the outside. There's a, there's a big high kind of a uh, tent. No, not a tent, a curtain. I don't know. Um, all around this thing. And, and for me to get in, and, to, and, and what I, I'm, the reason I'm there is because I'm there to offer a sacrifice. I probably have done something wrong, or maybe I just want to come before God. I want to, I want to offer a burnt offering, which is, which is a way that the Jewish people were able to say, Consume me. I, I'm, I'm giving of me to you. And this, this offering of a burnt, uh, a burnt offering is my way of saying, God, I want to give it all to you. I want you to have it all. And so all these different sacrifices. So, so if I'm the worshiper, I come in and I come through the, uh, now I'm in. Okay, there's, a, uh, there's a, an altar here, a burnt, a brazen altar. And this is where sacrifices are going on all day long. Animals are being killed. They're being, they're being uh, offered on this brazen altar. <clears throat> and then past that, um, a little further there is right about here, this thing called a laver, which is like this wash place where the priests could wash because they're getting bloody all day and dirty all day with all the dirt in the place and all the, you know, the offering of sacrifice. So they're washing up in this laver. And then from here, a little further, right about here is the holy place. And then the holiest of all is back there. So now in this holy place, there are three pieces of furniture. There's the altar of incense. There is the candlestick, which is what gives light to this thing. And there is the table of showbread. The table of showbread speaks to us about like eating or just having fellowship with God, right? So this, this bread was there. It, it could only be eaten by the priests and only at very specific times. But it was, it was, it was. All of this was a symbolic way of showing the way to the presence of God. But there was a stop sign on that last little bit uh, where that curtain was, and you were not able, no one was able to go through. Anyway, <clears throat> I am encouraged to enter into his gates with another, what's the starting point here? Right? I'm, I'm just coming in. What's, what's the appropriate starting point? Thanksgiving. Right, the sacrifice of thanksgiving, right? To th this, this is how we draw near to God. And we're going to try to build a little more on this in the next verse of Scripture. But he says, "Enter into His gates with thanksgiving." The pathway to God, if we really want to reach Him, is lined with thanksgiving. Because if you're really, if you're really thinking right, I know there's plenty of people going through all kinds of things around here. Some really hard things. Lots of people going. I, I, matter of fact, I, I doubt there's many people in our congregation this morning that aren't going through something or don't have. Jesus makes it pretty clear: unless you're ready to pick up your cross, you can't be His follower. Right? It, it just comes with the territory. That's what it is. There are challenges along the way, and there are hard things to to find our way through and to trust God through. But the the things that are a challenge to us and a difficulty to us never outweigh the blessings that we have in Christ. And I mean, and that's, that's the blessings that we have in Christ. That, leaving aside everything that, all the blessing that it is just to live in this country. That 
is the golden ticket right there. To have been born in America, to live in this country, to enjoy the plenty and the peace and the prosperity and all that is part of, of the everyday life that we live. Kind of like in, back in that you know, statement by Abraham Lincoln, we, we're just inclined to forget this stuff. Take it all for granted. Assume that it, we have a, a right to it somehow. Anyway, so we enter into his gates. The route that takes us to God is altogether covered with thanksgiving. There are, there are some times when life gets so hard and you just, you, you can hardly even come to God anymore without kind of being a griper and a complainer and you're ticked and you're bitter and you're frustrated. Has that ever happened to you? Or am I the only person that's... A, right? I mean, it's, it, it's just... There are different seasons. There, was, there are some seasons where everything is wonderful. Hallelujah, praise God, thank you, Jesus. Everything is great. And then there's just some days it's not like that. And there are some days there are some problems that you, you're just hitting and it's hard and, 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 and you're feeling a little beat down. But, and I'll, I'll have a little more to say about that in, in this last portion here. But it is always appropriate for us to have that mindset of thankfulness so to come before God and to say to God, God, even what I may be going through, you are the God who is able to make all grace abound to me. And so you know what I'm dealing with and you know what I'm going through and I'm not going to allow bitterness to affect my heart. I'm not going to allow my life to be overcome with bitterness. And so enter into his, thank- his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. <clears throat> For the Lord, he is, whoops, I lost my thing here. Enter his word, uh, be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. So how important is thanksgiving? Come and enter into his gates with it. It is the, it is the first step towards uh, reaching the presence of God. Now, one third stop, and, and this is the one, um, I want to challenge us with this one here this morning. Because this one is, comes from uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18. No, 16, 17, and 18. And it says this. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now, come on, you can't be real. In everything? But I, I looked it up in Greek. Pastor Joe, do you know what everything, when you look up everything in Greek, you know what it means? Absolutely, good. Right? In everything, give thanks. Well, that's easy when when everything is good. That's a piece of cake. It becomes another thing when everything is hard. Or when you're looking at something that, like, you hate. And you can't make it go away. And you can't fix it. And, and, and it's just this mountain that's like standing there. And, and there's just not a thing that you can do about it. It's hard to give thanks for that on that day. And I'm sure you've been there. However, here's the challenge. And I have discovered this a lot of times. And I've, I've seen, I know this works. And, and I know how hard it is to look at something and say, God, I'm going to thank you for this. To actually get your, your spirit into that. You know what I mean? You can say the words. That's one thing. But to actually get your, your whole self into that, to say, God, I, I mean it. I'm going to say thank you for this. And I'm, I'm going to thank you because, because you are the God who works all things together for good to those who love you and are the called according to your purpose. And I'm in that. That's me. That's who I want to be. That's what I'm living for. I want to be the person who's living according to your purpose. And so I know that you have not abandoned your sovereign role of, uh, you know, jurisdiction or sovereignty over the, over the, the universe, nor have you abandoned me, even though right now I'm not really sensing that um, my prayers are working very well. I'm not able to move this mountain. I'm not able to fix this problem. But I'll tell you what, if you will come to that place it will begin to change, and sometimes with amazing rapidity. I'm serious. With, amazingly, with, with amazing, ma- amazingly rapid way, that situation will begin to change just simply by you thanking God from your heart for it. This whole thought brought me to what we say, what I say, every time we have communion together, right? And, and we go through the, um, 
the statements that are made there in preparation for communion. It says, on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. And, then, and when he had given thanks, now wait a minute, given thanks, right? Does he know what's coming down the line? Sure he does. How, I mean, how, how difficult must that have been? It's kind of like it, it, you have that same, same sentiment that's found in Hebrews where it says, seeing that we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witness, let us run the race with patience, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now set down at the right hand of the, fa- of, of the Father on high. Yes, consider him, lest you become weary and discouraged in your minds. Right? And so Jesus, looking directly at the cross, looking directly at the separation that he was about to experience from the Father, never mind the pain, never mind just how excruciating that whole ordeal was to his physical body, then even, more, even, even worse to be actually separated from the Father for that and, and to ha- actually like leave the earth Father, into your hands, I, and, and, and to, to have become, this, you got to think about this, in, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus didn't just bear a couple of sins, Jesus became the thing. He became the wretched, disgusting, despicable. He became all of the wickedness and all, I, I mean, how the magnitude of human wickedness is beyond comprehension. You, you see it everywhere these days. It's, in, it's on display these days, right? The magnitude of human, what people have done to one another in this world, what has been done to other people, the wickedness, it is just, it is incomprehensible. Well, all, that's what Jesus became. He became that thing. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What a deal, huh? He becomes my sin. I become his righteousness. That's amazing. So on the way into all of this, on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and gave thanks. And then he broke it and he said, this bread is my body be broken for you. From now on, whenever you eat this bread, eat every bit of it. Because from now on, whenever you eat this bread, you must eat it in remembrance, with remembrance of me, for this bread is my body. Knowing full well what's coming. You see, that's the, there's the paradigm right there. There's the model. There's the example. I don't know what you're facing, but if you can look at that thing and say, God, I accept it. I don't like it. I, I wish I could change it. I, I know you can, but you're obviously not. And so I'm going to trust you with it, and I'm going to thank you for this thing from my heart. And I'm going to say it again, and when that old bitterness thing comes back up, and when, the, when all the associated emotions and all that, all that stuff comes along, I'm going to dismiss that stuff. Because I know that you are the God who is the one who can make everything work together for good to those who love you and who are the called according to your purpose. So I don't see it. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. He's working. Even when you don't see it, even when you don't feel it, when it seems like there's no shot. Job said, though he kills me, yet I will trust him. Right? I will come forth, though it... He is testing me and trying me like gold is tried, but I will come forth from this testing like pure gold. That's God's promise over us, and that's why you can, if you have a spiritual mind. You see, that's, it's important to get the stuff in our head and in our heart. Like if, if, you, if you haven't read your Bible for the last 20 years, you don't, and I, I, I'm sounding condescending. I, I don't mean it like that. But if, I mean, if you don't take time, to like make these things yours, these truths yours. You don't then you don't have them when the when the difficult day comes. And you need them. You have to have them in order to be able to make it through that that tight little you know little crack of grace that you're you're feeling pressure all over the place. I wrote a song years ago that said, "You're stretched to the limit, ready to snap." Walking through danger, feeling the trap. 
But blessings are waiting for those who get through. Because God's going to do something new for you. God going to do. I got to get on that song. Well, help me write that song there, Pastor Joe. God's going to do something new for you. God's going to take you down a road that you didn't want to go and would never have chosen, but you're going to come out with some trophies on the other end. But you've got to know the truth to navigate through that tight little spot there. Where uh, Anyway, you get, you get the point. And, th- and Jesus modeled it perfectly. The night that he was betrayed, he took bread. After he had given thanks, oh, stop. After he had given thanks, right? So he gave thanks on the way into the cross, right? Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, now sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Yes, consider him, lest you become weary and discouraged in your mind. For you have not yet resisted, says Paul, or says who the writer of Hebrews, unto blood, right? It hasn't cost you any blood yet, right? And that's true. I haven't, I haven't bled over it. You know, I may be ticked about it, and I may be disappointed by it, I may be frustrated by it, and I may wish I could change it all and fix it and all, all the rest of it, but I'm, it hasn't cost me any blood yet, I don't think. But you get the point. So it's Thanksgiving, and you can see the importance. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. You ever wonder, like, God, what is your will for my life? Wonder no more. There's actually four. I I was actually going to preach that this morning. Four wills for our life. This is the will of God that you give thanks in all things. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus. And there's there's three more like that. So maybe maybe we'll bring that next week so that we can know the the will of God because we often think of the will of God. Oh, the person that I should marry. That's what I want to know about the the will of God or or what job I'm supposed to do, what career I'm supposed to have, or what, what house, or what state might you want me to live in, God, or, you know, what kind of work do you want me to do? And God is... God is very little, there's very little concern, I believe, on God's heart about those things. There's any number of things. We, God can, if, if God can use you, all those are open. He can use you anywhere. So it's not so much a specific, of the, it's all about the heart and the character and the inward person that we are becoming. And, and this, is a, this is a major portion towards getting closer to that center where we are actually functioning and living and finding ourselves in the actual will of God. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So there you go, Freedom Church. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. <laughs> right? And go into, and, let, and let's, let's celebrate our thankfulness. You know, not to be obnoxious about it, but just to, to actually have and cultivate a thankful heart. It was a song by Petra years ago. I have a thankful heart because you have given me. Right? And, and it all goes back to you, yep. It was a great song. So a thankful heart is what pl- it pleases God. It gets us in the gate. It draws us close. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. And it is the will of God for every and any set of circumstances or, set of circumstances or situations.